Praise God, brothers and sisters. Um, so it's, a, it's always interesting for me when someone brings a prop. So I decided to bring this for you guys. Um, this right here, I brought it from work. This is uh, aluminum wire. It's uh, 480 volt. It's meant to power a backup power system, a charging uh, unit for it. And so as I pass this around, I want you guys to handle it and try to bend it. So um, I was at work on Saturday, and what I've been doing for the last couple months is working inside an electrical room. And you guys know at home, like, you have those breakers, and when something goes out, you have to go and flip it back over. Do you guys know that? Yes. Thank you, Dennis. So that little panel is, like, pretty small. But at work, we have ones that are, like, taller than me, wider than me. And there's, there's like, 30 of these panels inside our electrical room. And all of them have this really big wire. And so on Saturday, I'm hooking up the backup power system with this wire. And... Um, you know, God's been blessing me a lot at work. I mean, like, the foreman likes me. Every, like, people like me at work. And it's literally just God's been, like, putting me with the perfect people, the right people. And so I'm bending this wire, and I'm putting it into this um, backup generator. I'm making it look really neat. It, and when it comes down, it has to do, like, sharp bends. It has to come up. It has to, like, flow really nice. And when you look at it, you can be like, wow, that looks really good. It's not just... And so I'm thinking about this, and I'm like, man, my foreman's about to come back. I'm working in this room alone, and I'm doing this, and I'm like, man, I, w I want to do this really good for my foreman. I want to do this. And, like, I'm making it flow. I'm rechecking it. Like, I'm zip-tying it. I'm like, put a bend there. Put a bend there. I'm like, okay, that's perfect. And I keep going. And then this thought just comes to me, like, the Holy Spirit is just like, you're working so hard to please man right now. Like, you're working so, so hard to please men right now. And the last two, three weeks, God's been, like, showing me, like, calling me out, like, this is where you're doing it. This is where you're doing it. This, and, like, Saturday was, like, that last time I was, like, looking at myself, I was, like, wow. This is, like. And so imagine if you just keep, you know, doing this, all this work to please your boss or whatever, right? And so when your boss is not around, you don't work as hard, right? Only when he's there, you do something, you do something, you make it look nice, but then when someone else tells you to do something, you just, oh, you're not my boss. I don't, I don't even care what you think, but you're pleasing this one person. And so I want to bring this example into our lives. This is how I see it, that when um, our goal is to please man, right? Our goal is to please man. We don't care about what others think. And more importantly, we do not care what God thinks. If we are focused, everything in our lives, you know, we go to school, we go to work, we go here, we go there, everywhere that we go, and we're just going and we're pleasing, man, we're trying to fit in. Like, it's in school, like, you know, you're put into groups and stuff like that. And the people there, you know, they're not Christians. They're the world. And it's fine working in the world. It's fine. All this stuff is good, but are you being an example on them, or are they putting an influence on you? And that's what you have to really think about, that when you please man, you do not think about what is pleasing to God. And so 
and God, and so like, we, we think we can hide something from someone, right? We think we, can, we might be able to hide something from our parents. We think we can hide something from the youth leaders. We think we can hide something from the pastors, from our friends, that something that we're doing and we're just, we're living life and that's like, that's enough. If everyone thinks I'm good, that is enough. If I just do the bare minimum and everyone sees me that I'm good, but we sometimes forget that God is watching all of us. God is watching everything we do. And if you look in the Bible, um, the story of Joseph, right, it's a pretty sad story. You know, his brothers sell him into slavery. He goes to Egypt. It's just a hopeless situation. God turns it around. God puts him at the head. He's in charge of, uh, what is it, Potiphar's, Potiphar's whole household. And he's in charge of everything. And then Potiphar's wife comes to him one day, and she comes to him actually multiple times multiple times, and she's like, I want you to sleep with me. I want you to do this. I want you to do that. And let's read what Joseph says to Potiphar's wife. It's written in Genesis 39.9. There is no one greater in this house than I. This is Joseph talking about himself. And he, Potiphar, has withheld nothing from me except from you, because you are his wife. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? So Joseph was taken away from his family. He was taken away. There was no one to hold him accountable, right? Potiphar wasn't there. No one was there to watch him. It was him and his wife. And Joseph, he was grew up in the right household. He grew up with the fear of the Lord. Joseph, he didn't care like if someone found out. He didn't care. He knew that God was watching him and that is enough. That was enough to keep him from doing it. He didn't say like, oh, maybe if your husband finds out, I'm going to get all this taken away from me. Maybe if this will happen. But he says, God is watching me. How can I do this great sin against God, this great wickedness and sin against God? And so, when we please man, we're compromising. When we're seeking to please man, when we're coming to church and we're just like, put on a front, we just put on a front, you know, we're, we're living completely differently, but in church we look good. And when we please man, we compromise. Because... We're not thinking about what God thinks about us anymore. We're thinking about how can I please this person, and we forget that God is always watching us. And so, and I wanted to read just this one last verse, um, Galatians 1.10. Paul writes this, and people were trying to discredit Paul. They were trying to say all sorts of evil against him, and... Paul says in Galatians 1.10 that, For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bond servant of Christ. You see, we can't please two masters. 
We can't serve two masters. We're either going to be pleasing God or we're going to be pleasing man. Apostle Paul said that people were saying that he was just doing this maybe for fame, maybe for whatever. But he was saying, if I were here to preach to please men, I would not be pleasing God. I would not be a bondservant of God. I would not be a slave to God. And God wants us to not think about what others think about us, not what others think about us on Instagram, on Snapchat, on any of these social medias. Because if you, if, you, if you really think about it, like you, don't, you might not even notice, but that plays a huge portion about how you even think about yourself. In fact, the Bible says how you should think about yourself, how Christ sees you. But when you're so focused on how people see you, you don't see what Christ thinks about you. You don't want to see. All you want to do is look good in front of other people. So today is a prayer service, and I wanted to do this first prayer of sanctification. Asking God, God, just examining our life. I'm going to examine my own life. I know that God's been convicting me of certain things, like, really, really certain things that I should have caught earlier. I should have seen this. And it's like, I let it go for so long, but God, let us look through our lives right now. Let us pray right now and ask God, forgive us, God. Where have we compromised? Where did we go against you? Where, when did we stop having the fear of God? Praise God, dear brothers and dear sisters. I want to share with you a thought before we go into prayer. And uh, kind of the, the place we're going to meditate a little bit on is 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 14 through 35. Don't worry, I'm not going to read all of it. But I will start my sermon by reading Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11 and verse 12 speaks very clearly to the fact that every single person, especially believers, find themselves as they are born into this world, and especially as you become a Christian, maybe you're 16, 20, 25, 12, um, in a serious battle, a very serious battle with, and, and I want to talk about this battle specifically in this light, why we need God as Christians. Why, why do we need the Holy Spirit as Christians? I, I remember we were praying in, uh, for, for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and that was actually one of the questions that was raised, like, why do we need this? Why do we need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? It's just like a, you know, like an extra little thing, is it not? Well, it's very important for us to need God, but even, I would say, uh, more importantly, like, we all need God as humans. We're pretty frail to understand our need of God. So allow me, if, if you will... Uh, I'm going to try to paint a picture. It's a dark picture, but we're going to end with hope, okay? So we're not going to end in the darkness. We're going to end with Jesus Christ. But I want not paint a picture. I just want to read for you a couple of texts and just say, like, what do these texts mean? Um, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11 and 12. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle... So notice those two words, schemes and struggle, is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And so 
I remember talking with an older gentleman from our church, and he says, hey, Andre, do you know that, well, he, he said this like, uh, just, we were talking about something else, but he just said, hey, you, you know, right, that the word bron means like a, a fight with no, like, laws or no rules, and I, I, I still don't know if that's true, in the, if that's what the actual definition of that word is, but I want to look into our translation, what we read. We read that we wrestle, not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of the dark world. The, 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 everything that we have uh, that we're talking about is spiritual stuff, right? As sin is, is the enemy. Interesting thing is, verse 11 starts with this, that you would be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. And then verse 12 says, for we struggle. So there's a struggle, there's a fight, a wrestling match, whatever you want to call it, and that's the language that Paul uses, okay? So it's a fight. But Paul says it's not just a normal fight. This fight for honor in Christianity, fight for excellence, fight to look more like Christ, to conform to the image of God. It is not just a wrestling match or a, or a boxing match, and that's the language Paul uses, so I don't count myself above Paul in holiness, so I'll be using the same language. Let's think of a boxing ring. There's people that get into the boxing ring. There's timeouts. There's referees. There's refreshments. You could drink water in between. There's, there's a, a time when uh, the whole fight could be stopped for, you know, that's, that's illegal. You can't do this. There's, there's a lot of laws that both of the fighters go by. When we're looking into the scriptures, we see that we are in a struggle. We are in a fight. And there seems to be very little to no laws by which the enemy fights us. Did you know that? And I'm not saying that like God's not in control. God is ultimately in control. As we see in Job, when Satan wants to do something to a righteous man, God is the ultimate kind of uh, authority. But when we're talking about our spiritual walk, and we're talking about uh, the spiritual fight that we must fight, fight the good fight, right? We're not talking about a boxing match where you could take timeouts. We're not talking about, uh, you know, you got hit in the windpipe. Let, let's, let's pause there. Let's get, everyone get their breath. We're going to restart. We're not talking about, you know, refreshments, none of that stuff. But moreover, we're not talking about fairness either. Without God, a person who is born into this world is born against the most experienced of deceivers, the most experienced of enemies, powerful enemy, I might say. And so we're not just up against an enemy who doesn't fight by the rules, if I may. He is more experienced. He is the father of lies. He, he, he knows how to trick. So it's not that you're standing against someone who is, you know, you're 50 kilograms, the person is 75 kilograms, which is a huge, like, it's a bad thing to happen in wrestling or in box, boxing or whatever we're, we're talking about. So that would never take place. But that is the case. We have an opponent who is stronger than us, who is more experienced than us, who has a stronger or a longer arm length. I don't know what they, they call it, but it's like it matters in boxing and in fighting how long your arm is, right? So all of that, he has all the advantages. But moreover, they're scheming on the outside and in the ring. The referee is rigged. Your trainer is rigged. If you are outside of Christ, I am saying right now, your drink that you're going to be drinking during the break is poisoned. That, that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about like a fair fight. 
In fact, when the fight begins and all of these are th things are taking place, there, there are things that the enemy uses, not just hands, but whatever he can do, whatever he may do, for one reason only. He wants victory. He wants you to succumb, me to compromise, and he has victory. And I want to I show you something. So, so again, I said it's a little dark. We'll end in hope, okay? So just bear with me. Second uh, Kings. You don't have to open there. Just listen carefully. Second Kings chapter 18. Hezekiah, a very good king. Hezekiah was so good. And if you read through Kings, um, most of the kings that loved God, genuinely loved God, they did everything but this one thing. They never took down the high places. Okay? And that was a big deal because God did, ne he never commanded the people of Israel to sacrifice on the high places. It was in Jerusalem, in the temple, that they sacrificed. They couldn't just sacrifice to God wherever they felt like. Hezekiah was the king who stopped these sacrifices on these high places that were going on for hundreds of years. And many good kings, Christian, you could say kings, they looked over these things because they were like traditions. They were so deeply rooted into the culture of the Jewish people that they're like, no, I mean, it's, it's good. You know, we're sacrificing to God. Hezekiah puts an end to this. Now, Hezekiah is being besieged by the king of Assyria. And the king of Assyria is a type, I would say, as I see in this story, of our enemy. Because the tactics he used aren't, aren't normal tactics. Like if you, if, if we as readers of the Bible, where we kind of take a step back and we could just very logically go through the text and, you know, judge for ourselves. What is he saying? What does Hezekiah reply? He is contradicting himself. Every other verse, the king of Assyria, I'm saying. He is making statements that are literally, like, you can't say that stuff. You can't say one thing, and then you can't say another thing after that that contradicts the first thing, and then say a third thing that contradicts the first thing and the second thing, but that is exactly what King Assyria is doing because all he wants is Jerusalem. That's it. He doesn't care if it's illogical. He doesn't care if it's unfair. He doesn't care, and we'll read right now what he's doing. Look, look at this. So he's going to Jerusalem. He wants Jerusalem. This is what he asks of Hezekiah, verse 14. Oh, so he basically tells him, I won't attack you, give me gold. Hezekiah does this. Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent to the king of Assyria, says, I have done wrong, withdraw from me, whatever you impose on me, I will bear. So the king of Assyria required of Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. Hezekiah gave him all the silver which was found in the house of the Lord in the treasuries of the king's house. At that time, Hezekiah cut off the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord and from the doorpost which Hezekiah, king of Judah, had overlaid and gave it to the king of Assyria. You know what the king of Assyria does? He takes that gold. He goes, buys more mercenaries to fight against Jerusalem and then continues to attack Jerusalem. And all of us are reading, right? And even, even in war, there are laws. You, you, we know that, right? History, like in World War I, they invented gas. And everyone, the Germans, the, 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 uh, the, everyone came to a conclusion, we're not going to use gas. And when gas was used, poisonous gas, horrible gas. It was a big deal. Like they're like, it just, it's not fair. It, it's, it's bad. It's dangerous. It just, it's such a gruesome death. And people like more or less agreed on that and did that. But this is World War I. This is World War II we're talking about. This is not the spiritual battle we're, we're talking about. The spiritual battle is this right here. 
they, they make a contract. Let's make a little compromise. Hezekiah goes, let's, let's do this. He, he takes all the gold he has. He gives it to the king of Assyria. And the king of Assyria takes that gold, buys more soldiers, and attacks Jerusalem with greater force. He doesn't fight by the rules. Then listen to what King Assyria says. Verse 22. Here comes the contradictions. But if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God, this is his, uh, kind of his argument to Hezekiah why he should surrender now that he's attacking him again. If you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah has taken away and has said to Judah and to Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar in Jerusalem? Now, therefore, come make a bargain with my master, the king of Assyria, and I will give you uh, 2,000 horses. And in verse 25, how have I not now come up without the Lord's approval against this place to destroy it? The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. King of Assyria stating that actually your God told me to attack you because you took these high places, which the God of Israel actually hated, away from the worship in the people uh, around the, this, this, this nation of Judah. If he would just say that, that's just that. You could already somehow deal with that. Like, okay, maybe, maybe something did happen. But here's what he says, literally almost in the same breath. Verse 35. This is his second argument. Who among all the gods of the lands have delivered their land from my, my hand, that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem from my hand? Do you guys see contradictions? The first argument was, your God told me to defeat you. The second argument is, your God won't be able to stop me from defeating you. That is the same letter that he's writing, the same speech that is being given to Hezekiah. Does it worry him that he's contradicting himself? Does it worry him that he cheated Hezekiah? Does it worry him that he didn't stand up for his word? It doesn't worry him. You know why? Because he wants Jerusalem. He wants that gem. And he'll do anything to get it. Lie, deceit. He'll do anything to get it. And now we turn to the Christian. The Christian is not the unbeliever. An unbeliever walks into this world. And let me tell you something. It is a dangerous world. Because um, the tables are turned against every single person. They are at odds with an enemy who is stronger and more powerful. But here's what we read in Ephesians. I'm going to go back to the place where I started and we're going to pray. Ephesians chapter, 35, uh, chapter 6. There are not 35 chapters in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. Before that it says, You, dear Christian, you, dear believer... If you have not yet acquired these things, these things are readily available to you to withstand this enemy. You can stand against this enemy, and you can succeed. You don't have to fight an all-out defensive battle. You can take these things on. He says, take the loins of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit. There's no time to get in these things. And then verse 18, he says, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Basically, Paul says, you are in a struggle that is not against flesh and blood. It's against the enemy, it's against Satan. 
and you have everything that you need to withstand against him. But he says, take all these things, this breastplate of righteousness, the, the helmet of salvation, and now pray in the spirit of God. Ask for the presence of God. Ask for God to be one with you. And you will have victory. And so Romans chapter 8, verse 38. He says, but in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers. That's the same word that Paul uses in Ephesians. Nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Brothers and sisters, this is my kind of appeal to you. In this prayer, let's pray for one thing. Let us pray for God to be with us in our lives. I don't have the time, but Hezekiah, after all these things were said, the psychological warfare, this emotional warfare that was waged against Jerusalem and Hezekiah, he takes everything that the king of Assyria wrote, he brings it to God, and he says, Lord God, look what they're doing. It's not fair. You know the gold that I gave? You know the things that are saying? They're contradicting themselves. And they will get us because they are stronger than us. You know what happens? An overwhelming victory happens because Hezekiah trusted not in himself, not in his degree, not in his abilities, not in his capabilities or talents, but he trusted in one person, in one being, I should say, in God. The same way that we ought to trust in Jesus Christ. We, ha we need to trust Jesus Christ in every area, every aspect of our life, whether financial, whether our education, whether our ministries, our relationships. We need God. We need God because when we have God, when God is on our side, this battle that is skewed against us. But as a Christian, as a son, as a child, a daughter of God, we have an overwhelming victory which is ours through Jesus Christ. But we cannot just sit around and hope that something falls from heaven, some, some, some you know, salvation, some deliberation. It does. It's free. It's a gift. But you need to ask. You need to call upon God and ask, Lord, please. Maybe you don't have victory in your life over some sin. Maybe there's an addiction that the sin has turned into. Brothers and sisters, we have an overwhelming victory in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray. Praise God. Thank you, Alex. Спасибо за русскую песню. That's refreshing. Thank you. I'm sure there's a lot of people. Who, the people that are sitting here, who are listening to the Russian songs? Occasionally or, or not every day maybe, though. Um, who only listens to Russian songs? <laughs> okay, we have one person. Okay. <sighs> That's good. One of my prayers was when I was thinking about marriage and, and my future wife was, Lord, I want her to enjoy the same songs as I do. <laughs> that, was a, that was a real genuine prayer. Because I was a witness. I was taking photographs of this couple, my friends as well. 
And we were driving in the car. I was in the back. We were driving to a place to take pictures for their engagement. And half of the road, they were fighting over the songs which to listen to. She liked charismatic songs and, you know, English. And he liked, you know, Sasbornica. And, and for me, that was a real prayer. I'm like, Lord, I need a person that will enjoy, you know. We're, we're going to be driving in the same car. You know, you can have two radios, right? Now you can have Naushniki, um, and, and, but that's, that's not the same. Um, that's me. Maybe it doesn't bother you. You can listen to whatever. But thank you. Thank you for the song. Um, very important message. When Alex was speaking about God's will, I was sitting here and praying um, about this final few minutes that we're going to be speaking. I'm going to be speaking and we're going to be praying. I believe there was a lot already said today. Uh, Peter started off with an example of Joseph and his, his battle and his struggles and his uh, victory. And when we listen to that, we think, oh, yeah, you know, David was a man of God. He was so strong, he said, no, go away. And he turned away and he walked away, right? He was just a strong man. I believe he was struggling. I believe that when the Bible said that she was coming up to him day after day, there was a struggle and there was a prayer to God, a prayer of deliverance. And I believe that Joseph was praying and saying, Lord, I need your deliverance. I need you to intervene in this situation and help me out because I don't know how long I'm going to be able to stand. And maybe, maybe you're here today and that's your prayer. Lord, I need a message of hope. I need strength. I need your intervenes. I need you to walk into my life, into my situation, and lend the, the hand of help. Maybe that's some of you today, and I believe that God is giving us that hope. I believe that God is rich in hope. He is the only one who gives hope, for that matter. Every other hope will fail. Every other hope ends here on earth, there's no eternal hope. And God is the only hope, amen? In Him, there is only hope. Because He promises not only life here with Him, victorious life, but life after death. In fact, Jesus said, whoever believes in me will not perish, but have eternal life. I don't begin even comprehending what eternal life means. You know, we're planning now this life here, you know, our 80 years here and our retirement and, 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 and what I'm going to do for my retirement and this and that, right? But God said, this is not it. This is just a fraction 
of the time that you're going to spend with me. Invest in eternal. Invest in something that will be forever. Don't invest in something that will perish here. Andre spoke um, also on the powerful message on what we on our battle and who we are fighting with. And our struggle is not against the blood and the flesh, but against spiritual forces. And you know, it's interesting when you don't face the spiritual world, you think you can deal with things physically. When you don't have the encounter with the spiritual world, you think that you are strong. And I think that I'm strong. But at the moment when you encounter an opposition, and when you face the enemy, you're either strong or you're weak. And that can be a temptation. That can be um, sickness. That can be a problem in the family. It can come in any, in, in different forms, in different forms. Um, we had a situation um, in our family, and it's going on right now, in our remote family, where um, a person needs spiritual breakthrough. When devil has power over that soul, and the whole family is praying and, and to God and seeking his mercy and seeking his help, and you know what the devil is telling in the prayer? When, we're, when people are praying for this person, devil through the person says, not enough power. Not enough power. It's serious. It's serious. When you get down to the spiritual world, when you Realize, devil is good at scheming. Devil is good at uh, covering his real face. And he comes and he wraps things beautifully. Temptations and things that um, he presents to us. The, through the songs, he enters through the back door. Through the songs, through um, things that appeal to us on TV and in other different, through other different medias, and so on and so forth. And it's so tempting, you know, to, to stay. It's so hard. It, it is really tough to stay pure. It is really tough to stay genuine. It is really tough to stay sincere, honest, to overcome, to fight with sin. Isn't it tough? It's tough. It's tough for me. I don't know, maybe you're already there. I'm still on the way. I'm still looking at, at, the, at, at the cross. I still need power for, from the cross. 
And then I was reading through the scriptures. Um, we're going to be praying, but um, the will of God. If we're speaking about the will of God. I recently bought a belt. I recently bought a belt. Um, and it's a belt for photography. There's different pockets and, and so on and so forth. And the motto of the company, um, the motto of the company is be ready before the moment. Be ready before the moment. Andre was reading uh, the passage in Ephesians 6. And Paul is pleading with Christians in Ephesus, in the center and in the headquarters of the devil. If you study Ephesian church, where it was placed. It was placed in the middle of very um, low morale. There was a temple um, of the goddess that was worshipped by sexual acts. And, and so on and so forth. There's a lot of filth in that town, in that city. And we don't need to go in details. We live in the same kind of city. You just need to open your eyes or you close your eyes. You need to close your eyes when you walk the streets. Um, because we do live in a very dark time. Um, and that's, that's just their reality. Um, and here what the Paul says to the church to this church in Ephesus. Um, in verse 13, he said that, actually in verse 13, he says, um, therefore take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. There's a particular day in our life well, there are days in our life that we need to be ready for. And that's why I brought that example. Be ready before the moment. Trying to get ready in the moment is late. But what I am doing today, when nobody sees me, when nobody sees my obedience to God, Somebody said that you can't go wrong with the intercessory prayer. You can't fake it because you're closed in the room and you're crying out to God for another person. You can't go wrong with that. There's no selfish motives. So when I'm in my room, when I'm interceding for myself, for my future, for my future husband or wife, if you will, for my church, for my youth, for my brothers and sisters. That's the preparation. That's the preparation. That's the only preparation I can do. When I'm in my word, in, in the word of God, um, when I'm reading, studying, when I'm walking with the Lord, and yes, you might be struggling with sin. And yes, you might be going through hard times. 
And yet, you, yes, you might be um, emotionally um, having some kind of emotional um, roller coasters. I don't know. But that anchor of hope is God. That anchor of hope is the Lord Jesus Christ. In Him, there is only in Him purpose in life. There's no other purpose. There's no other hope. And the question is, and the temptation today is to let go of this way of living and try something different. And try something different for a change. Try going without the scripture for a week and without praying for a month. And, you know, listening to prospective preachers or motivational talkers and trying yoga maybe and other things to have that wellness and, and well-being. And going to the gym, you know, to get your feeling good about yourself. But the question is, am I in the will of God? Is that the will of God for me, for my life? Am I sensitive to the Holy Spirit um, that leads me? If He leads me in my life. And it's always a battle of wills. If it's it's either going to be God's will or it's going to be my will. And the waiting, the waiting period is what's hard. It's the time of waiting. It's the delay. When in the Old Testament, when the Israelites were waiting for the Moses, they got tired of waiting. They got tired of waiting. Why do we have to wait for this man? Why do we have to wait for something that God is going to tell us to this man? Let's make ourselves our own God. And let's worship him. And let's call him the God that led us and saved us. And we create, people create their own gods. That is easier to worship. Gods that don't demand anything. That I choose the way I want to worship that God. I dictate the worship to this God. But that's not the God we serve. Amen? That's not the God we serve. The God we serve is holy. And by holy, um, He requires, the only thing He requires is obedience. The only thing He requires for us is to wait upon the Lord. Is to wait for him. Is to wait for him to provide for you, to provide for me. And it's that waiting period that is hard. It's that waiting period that is hard. And I'm gonna tell you more that the waiting period is not always turning out the way we want it to turn out. We read chapter 11, the people of faith. 
And it's interesting to me that all those people, God says that they did not receive what was promised. They were just obedient. They did not receive what was promised here on earth. So my question to you, will you continue to serve God if he does not answer your prayer? Will you continue to serve God if you're never going to get married? Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Will you continue to serve God if your life does not turn out the way you want it to turn out and the way you planned it? That's a real question. Because today I talk to people that say, you know, I was expecting certain things and they didn't happen. Somebody promised me something. If you do this, this, and that, you will have these blessings in your life. And I did not receive them. But I want to read a passage that um, I believe will encourage us. Paul writes, and this is before chapter 11. This is Hebrews 10, 10, 35. He talks about all the hardships that the church went through. The hard times that they basically were left with empty hands. Um, and people took their stuff and they joyfully gave away their stuff. They were looking at those people that were taking their possessions and they, they, they were helping them carry the dressers out. Um, and Paul writes, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. Praise God. I'm going to read it again. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. Your confidence in God. Your confidence in the promises of God. Your confidence that God is able to lead you and save you and deliver you and bring you home at the end of everything, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance. So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. What does it take to receive what was promised? What does it take to not lose that confidence? What does it take to go all the way and not look to the right or to the left and not get lost in this world? I'm going to flip two pages to chapter 12. Paul says, therefore, therefore, having in mind all the people that we talked about, he talked about in chapter 11, the people of faith. Since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. The author and perfecter of faith. When I think about that, 
statement. Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Jesus was the one who engineered your faith. Jesus was the one who gave you your faith. He is the author of your faith. Guess where do we go to renew that faith? We go to Jesus Christ. Amen. He is the author and perfecter. That faith that is in you is not complete. It needs to be perfected. It needs to be perfected by the things that you will encounter, by the things that you're going through. God is leading you, and he's perfecting your faith. He is working on me. He is still working on me. There is a song that is sung in school. He is still working on me. He created the stars and the moons in the day. But he is still working on me. He is still working on me and on you. I'd like to invite you to prayer. And pray for one particular thing. That we would not get distracted. And that the Lord would grant us his mercy and strength to keep our eyes on the one who can deliver us, on the author and perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray.